Book Five, Chapter Five, Part One of the History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume Two, by Henry Charles Lee. Book Five, Resources, Chapter Five, Part One, Finances. Indications are not lacking that, when the Inquisition was established, it was not regarded as a permanent institution, but as one to last only until it had purified the land of Jewish apostates. Had its prolonged existence been expected, doubtless provision would have been made, during the early period of large confiscations, to lay aside a fund sufficient for its support after the tide of spoliation should have ebbed. Ferdinand occasionally manifested a desire to establish a foundation for its maintenance, but his own necessities and the greedy pressure for grants rendered nugatory whatever intentions of the kind he may have entertained from time to time. In the proposition made to Charles V in 1519, there is allusion to such a plan, proposed by Ferdinand, of securing censos which should place the institution on a firm financial basis, and which had been partially carried out in some places. There is slender trace, however, of any results of such policy. When there were large confiscations in Sicily, he ordered, June 27, 1513, that none of the censos so obtained should be sold, but that they should be kept for the support of the tribunal. Apparently this was not done by the receiver, Diego de Obregón, who, on quitting Sicily in 1514, left behind him the considerable sum of twelve hundred ounces, which Ferdinand ordered his successor, Garcia Seethe, to invest in censos, but the subsequent condition of the tribunal shows that peculation and extravagance rendered impossible any accumulation. We have seen that, in 1517, Seville and Cordova had reserved funds in public securities, but they were absorbed by the Suprema. Possibly these were derived from the great composition described above, a cedula bearing the name of Queen Juana, February 24, 1516, states that it was devoted to the purchase of censos for the Inquisition, but we have had occasion to see how it was frittered away so that only a moderate portion can have reached its destination. The Toledo Tribunal, in 1515, received from Ferdinand the absolute ownership of the building occupied by it and some other properties. Doubtless there were other donations of greater or less amount, but these are the only appropriations for the permanent support of the tribunals of Castile that I have met with. As for those of Aragon, a letter of Cardinal Adrian, January 30, 1520, allowing Saragossa to draw upon the fines and penances for its expenses, until it could get some confiscations, shows that it had no other source of support. Barcelona was somewhat better off, for the local government, in consideration of the Concordia of 1520, granted it 12,000 libras, and though the Inquisition subsequently saw fit to deny this, a letter of the Suprema in 1521 directing the Diputados to invest in censos the sum, which they had already deposited, shows that on their side, at least, the bargain was honestly carried out. What between this and the results of the somewhat irregular industry of the inquisitors, the tribunal must have been fairly well supplied, for, in 1550, 
we chance to hear of an ayuda de costa of twenty-four ducats granted to its notary bartolome garcia for his labor in copying the books of censos which it held in perpignan and the accounts of the receiver as for valencia at this period i have met with no data these indications are fragmentary but they suffice to justify the conclusion that the proceeds of the great confiscations in the early period were dissipated without laying up any permanent provision for the future as the suprema throughout the first half of the sixteenth century was constantly drawing upon the tribunals it proves that as a rule they were making more than their expenses and that when one chanced to run short its deficiency was supplied from some more fortunate one the grant in fifteen fifty nine of a hundred thousand ducats levied upon the spanish ecclesiastics was probably for the most part invested by the suprema for its own benefit though ten thousand ducats were placed in the hands of its alguacil mayor ibarra to be drawn upon for special purposes then came the suppression of the prebends which was expected to relieve all necessities but it seems to have led to improvidence for in fifteen seventy three the suprema complained that monies received from redemption of censos had not been reinvested but had been spent and it called for reports as to amounts received and expended apparently the explanations were not satisfactory for in fifteen seventy nine peremptory orders were issued that when a censo was paid off the money must be reinvested in another, no matter how imperative might be other calls. Thus, in 1586, the tribunals were called upon for reports of their revenues, as it was understood that these had increased, together with statements as to the product of the prebends and censos. It is not likely that these were fully and frankly rendered. Under the rules, as we shall see, monthly statements were required which should have made demands for special reports superfluous, but the tribunals were apt to observe towards the Suprema the same reticence which it showed to the king. We happen to have the report of Valencia, made in 1587, in response to this order, and find that it is quite imperfect. No mention is made of the confiscations and penances, and various items are omitted, while the twenty-five hundred ducats levied on the moriscos shrink to fifteen hundred libras and the total amounts to about five thousand libras for the year yet valencia must have been abundantly supplied for when in sixteen o one the suprema gave it permission to have a canopy for occasions of extraordinary sentences made at a cost not exceeding five hundred ducats when it was finished the bill amounted to over nine hundred the Suprema grumbled at this extravagance, but finally ordered it to be paid. The tribunal of Logroño must also have been in funds, for we chance to learn that, in 1587, it lent to the Countess of Orsono the sum of 155,535 reales, 17 maravedis, for which it received the annual interest of 4,552 reales, 5 maravedis, or about three per cent. At this period the Inquisition ought to have been financially comfortable, with its prebends and ordinary sources of income, besides having nearly all its higher officials quartered on the churches. But the fall in the purchasing power of money had necessitated a rise in all salaries, and it is not backward in making complaint. 
1595, a memorial of the Suprema to Philip II refers to frequent previous appeals representing the diminution of its property and income, together with the multiplication of officials, and declares that, if some remedy is not found, the king will be obliged to make up the deficiency. Soon after this, the tribunals of the kingdoms of Aragon suffered considerably from the expulsion of the Moriscos in 1609-10, to which they had so largely contributed. The blow fell with special severity on Valencia, where the Moorish population was largest, and the tribunal lost its 2,500 ducats a year and unlimited power of inflicting ten ducat fines. In 1615, we find the Suprema ordering the salaries prorated in conformity with the collections, though at the same time the alcalde Gil no Guerol was jubilated with a salary of 40,000 maravedis, and Nicholas Claver, the steward of the prison, was told to look for something from which a grant could be made to him. Ample use was made of the distress in Aragon to stimulate royal liberality. January 30, 1617, the Suprema represented it to Philip III, but his extravagance had kept him penniless, and the appeal was unanswered. It returned to the charge, October 22, 1618, perhaps thinking that the fall of the Duke of Lerma might lead to a more favorable hearing. The condition of the tribunal of Majorca was represented as deplorable. It could no longer be helped, as formerly, by Valencia, for that tribunal had a yearly deficit of four hundred ducats. Barcelona was in like evil plight, and the tribunals of Castile could no longer afford it the aid they used to give. As for Saragossa, its distress had already been represented to the king, who was prayed to order the vice-chancellor of Aragon to make provision for its relief. Then, in another consulta of 1619, the Suprema asserted that, taking the Inquisition as a whole, its expenses exceeded its income, and that the deficiency must be supplied by the king. As a convincing argument, it added that, when vacancies occurred, it proposed to suppress three inquisitorships, sixteen secretaryships, and its own three supernumerary members, an intention that failed of realization." we may responsibly hesitate to accept these clamorous complaints of poverty, when the Suprema so carefully kept the sovereign in the dark as to its real resources, nor is it easy to reconcile with them the assertion of Fray Bleda, in 1618, that the Spanish Inquisition was so richly endowed that it had a hundred places in receipt of incomes larger than those of many Italian bishoprics. No doubt, during the ensuing period of war, misgovernment, and elaborate financial blundering, the Inquisition in some degree shared the distress which was universal throughout Spain, but it had resources more available and more jealously husbanded than the other departments of the state. It was exposed to less pressure, and it managed to meet the incessant demands of Philip IV with no very severe sacrifice of its invested capital." Of course, the customary complaints continued. In a consulta of March 28, 1681, the Suprema bewailed the poverty of the organization, the lack of means among the tribunals to pay the salaries and maintenance of prisoners, which it had repeatedly represented with statements of the contador general showing the income of each tribunal with its deficit. This may have been true as regards some of them, 
owing to special causes. Thus a consulta of November 6, 1677, asserts that the Concordia of 1646 had reduced Saragossa to such penury that the last statement of its very moderate salaries showed an amount of 111,246 silver sueldos due to the officials, forcing the Suprema this year to assist it with 1,750 pieces of eight, a grant that it cannot repeat owing to its own very narrow means. In other cases, distress may be attributed to incurable laxity of management, as in Toledo, where a statement of 1647 shows a payment by the receiver of 105,984 maravedis to the inquisitor Santros de San Pedro, accompanied with the remark that lack of means prevents his paying the balance still due. But it also shows that the receiver held 801,724 maravedis of obligations so worthless that the auditor did not consider advisable any attempt to collect them, and that there were arrearages due on censos and other sources of revenue amounting to 1,353,452 maravedis. This justifies what was asserted in the plain-spoken memorial of 1623 to the Suprema, that through negligence there have been such losses that, if they had been avoided, the tribunals would be abundantly provided. This is attributed to the beggarly salaries of the financial officials. Not having enough to support them, they engage in other occupations, and, being sure of their salaries, they pay no attention to their duties. Another effect is that it is necessary to appoint natives, who, through kinship or fear of offending their neighbors, do not execute orders, or who grant such delays that the chances of collecting are lost. Moreover, as they get no fees for looking up evidence and documents, suits miscarry. Incompetent, slovenly, and often corrupt administration such as this affords ample explanation of whatever distress may have existed nor was malversation confined to the local tribunals. In November 1642, Madrid was startled when, by order of the Inquisitor-General, the presiding member of the Suprema, Pedro Pachecho, was suddenly arrested for malversation in office, and was hurried off to León, without allowing him to communicate with the king or with Olivares, and every one said that it was a judgment of God on him for his extortions the same Pacheco to whom Philip had just granted some thirty thousand ducats accruing from the sale of offices. There is significance in the cautious remark of Pelliser, August 15, 1643, comparing the death of Don Lope de Morales, of the Council of Castile, who died very poor, and of Inquisitor Alcedo, of the Suprema, who died very rich, leaving forty thousand ducats in gold and silver. The financial elasticity of the tribunals was remarkable, especially when stimulated by the pressure of poverty, for they held the means of recuperation in their own hands. Valencia undoubtedly suffered for a while from the Morisco expulsion, yet in 1630 we chanced to learn that it had 45,500 ducats invested in municipal bonds at 5%, yielding an income of 2,275 ducats. In 1633, the Suprema is scolding it for its extravagance in illuminations and bullfights, and in the same year it is seeking investments for its spare funds. 
This prosperity continued, for in 1660 a statement of its income shows 4,600 libras from interest on bonds, and 530 from the rents of some houses, in addition to the four canonries and the fines and confiscations. After the suppression of the Catalan rebellion, in 1652, the restored Barcelona tribunal had to reconstruct itself from the foundations, but it speedily became opulent, for in 1662-4 it spent more than 4,200 libras in damask hangings, repairs and extraordinary ayudas de costa, and in 1666 it was investing 1,000 libras in a censo. As in duty bound, a portion of the savings of the Inquisition was invested in government securities. Between 1661 and 1667, there were placed in this manner, from the proceeds of confiscations, sums amounting to 691,272 maravedis, and in 1668 this was increased by 202,771, the whole aggregate at this date being 7,877,999. With customary favoritism, its holdings were exempted from the deductions, amounting to partial repudiation, in which the necessities of Spanish finance sought relief. Taking it as a whole, I think we may assume that, during the vicissitudes of the seventeenth century, the Inquisition had abundant means for its support, and that, despite its incessant complaints of poverty, it suffered less from the exigencies of the time than any other department of the government. Internal mismanagement or external causes may have brought temporary distress on individual tribunals, but persecution was still a lucrative business, and such troubles were speedily overcome. As for the Suprema, we have seen that it was always in funds, not only for its necessities, but for its luxuries, and for the liberalities showered upon its members and subordinates, while the examination of a large series of receipts for salaries and perquisites shows that payments were made with a punctuality rare in the Spanish administration of the period. Certain it is that the Count of Frigiliana, in his addition to the Consulta Magna of 1696, assumes that the Inquisition was richly endowed with the prebends, the real estate acquired through confiscation, and the censos and other investments which it had accumulated. The opening of the eighteenth century was ominous of troubles to come. The war of succession threw everything into disorder. Not only were the inquisitorial finances affected, but the exigencies of the Bourbon government caused it to levy exactions which Philip IV in his deepest distress had not ventured upon. About 1704, a tax of five per cent was laid on the salaries of all officials, and this soon afterwards was increased to ten. Then, in 1707, the Inquisition had to bear its part in a general donation, the collection of which was entrusted to the bishops, as though the Suprema was distrusted, and in 1709 this was followed by an honesto subsidio. To obtain some return for this, the Suprema ordered lists to be made up of all benefices not requiring residence throughout Spain, under royal patronage, and asked the king to incorporate them in the Inquisition, but this somewhat audacious request was refused. Complaints of poverty continued, 
and, if we may trust a tabular statement of the receipts and expenditures of each tribunal, drawn up in 1731, they were fully justified, for the finances must have undergone a most notable deterioration under Philip V. Indeed, it is a mystery how the institution continued to exist under such conditions, with a yearly deficit of over half a million reales, and nearly a million and a half of overdue wages to its employees. The expenses of the Suprema are represented as about double its receipts. Only two tribunals, those of Santiago and Seville, show a small excess of income, while Valencia prudently squares its accounts to a maravedi. The rest all show a greater or less deficit. The Suprema no longer draws at will on the tribunals, but some of them have to make to it definite subventions. Thus Santiago is obliged to contribute 18,000 reales, Cordova 10,000, Seville 20,000, Murcia 45,000, and Majorca 10,000, the rest nothing, but on what principle these payments were based does not appear. Each tribunal, although subordinate to the Suprema in financial matters, has its own budget, its own independent resources, and is left to manage its deficit as best it can. The result, as might be expected, is various. Cordova, Murcia, and Majorca would be solvent but for the subventions to the Suprema. The little Majorca tribunal, formerly so necessitous, was now the largest salary list of all, amounting to 104,694 reales, but it likewise enjoys the largest revenue from investments, 96,829 drawn naturally from its lucky confiscations in 1678 and 1691, from which it doubtless secured an endowment. Toledo, with but a moderate deficit of 27,000, owes over 250,000 reales to its officials. Saragossa continues unfortunate. It was ejected from the Aljaferia, probably as an incident of the War of Succession, but Philip V, in 1708, granted it 5,200 ducats a year out of the confiscations to rent buildings. This was withdrawn in 1725, and in 1727 the Suprema appealed to the king with a deplorable account of its condition, dependent on its prebends and with an income less than half of its payroll. Its position had not improved in 1731. It had undertaken to put up new buildings, on which 20,000 ducats had been spent, and more than 20,000 additional were required for their completion. It was very expensively managed, with a salary list of nearly 93,000 reales, and total expenses of 118,000, on an income of about 80,000, while Barcelona paid in salaries only 50,000, and its whole expenditure was less than 60,000, on an income of 48,000. Santiago was fortunate in its prebends, which brought in nearly 88,000 a year. Outside of this, it had only 5,000 from investments, but it was able to pay its subvention, and had surplus of nearly 4,000. In only four tribunals, Santiago, Seville, Murcia, and Valencia, were the salaries fully paid up. The whole statement illustrates the curious lack of system under which the Inquisition had continued since its foundation. Under Ferdinand, he handled its finances as his own, 
using them according to his necessities, with improvident disregard of the future, and without formulating an arrangement by which its affairs could be placed on a stable basis, although its gains were aleatory and subject inevitably to diminution as it accomplished the object of its creation. Then, under Charles V, the Suprema assumed control, supplying its own wants from any surplus presumably existing in any tribunal, and transferring sums from one to another as exigencies presented themselves in the fluctuating stream of confiscations. The absorption of the prebends afforded for the first time a more stable revenue, although these two were variable. Each tribunal acquired those which fell within its district, thus obtaining an unequal basis of support, and becoming in a certain sense financially independent, although subject to the scrutiny and control of the Suprema. Thus one might be wealthy, and another poverty-stricken. There was no solidarity, no common treasury into which the receipts of each were poured, and from which their necessities were supplied. The Suprema had a general auditor's office, to which the accounts of all the receivers or treasurers were rendered, enabling it to exercise supervision and a more or less fitful and efficient direction, but it was more intent on providing for its own wants than in enforcing responsibility upon the local financial officials. It wasted its energies on the prettiest details, while distance and difficult communication forced it practically to leave important questions to the discretion of the tribunals. The anomalous financial organization, which thus developed, combined the vices of centralization and local self-government with divided responsibility and inefficient supervision. A tribunal which chanced to have large confiscations or numerous and lucrative prebends with honest and capable administration prospered, while others not so fortunate were reduced to penury. Towards the middle of the century, the condition seems to have slightly improved. A writer, evidently well informed, who complains bitterly that the usefulness of the Inquisition was crippled by inadequate means, states its revenues at 948,000 reales, derived from invested property, and 637,000 from a hundred prebends and some pensions, while its salaries and expenses amount to 1,900,000, leaving a deficit of 400,000. He proposes that the property derived from confiscations, representing a capital of 36 million, should be abandoned to the king, and that the church be levied upon to raise the total income to 2,700,000, which he assumes to be absolutely essential. It is scarce necessary to enter into the details of this proposed levy, except to mention that he says that there were a 113 collegiate churches in which no prebend had been suppressed, and these, averaging them at 2,500 reales, would yield 282,500 a year, also that there were 49 inquisitors enjoying prebends and benefices, averaging 11,000 a year, which should be incorporated, yielding 539,000. Another writer of the same period seeks relief by suppressing unnecessary officials and absorbing some more prebends, after which the king should assume the whole responsibility, appointing the salaried officials, collecting the revenues, and paying the expenses, when, if he had to make good a deficiency, he could not devote public money to a cause more useful and just. 
This writer also makes a most earnest appeal for increased salaries for the inferior officials, who, he says, were objects of popular derision in consequence of the meanness of their appearance. When one died, the expenses of his sickness and burial had to be defrayed by the tribunal in the shape of an ayuda de costa, and, while living, they were overwhelmed with debts which they had no means of paying, as shown by the number of claims filed by creditors. In the provinces they often had to supplement their wages by beggary, and their integrity suffered, for the starving are easy objects for temptations. I have not met with statistics as to the subsequent condition of each tribunal, but there are indications that some at least were comfortably endowed. Thus Valencia which, in 1731, showed a carefully balanced statement of receipts and expenditures, is found, in 1773 and 1774, purchasing real estate as an investment for surplus funds. In 1792, the Suprema, in response to a demand for increase of salaries, ordered from all the tribunals a statement of income and expenses for the seven years, 1784 to 90. The return of Valencia shows, for 1790, an income of 12,207 libras and an expenditure of 7,777, or a surplus of 4,430, though its payroll comprised 25 officials, receiving in all 5,616. Its coffer contained at the same time an accumulation of 32,707 libras, although, for the five years previous, it had spent an average of 5,000 libras a year in permanent improvements and investments. Perhaps this can scarce be taken as an example of all the tribunals, but it would indicate that some, at least, were not oppressed with poverty, while the absurdly small item of 39 libras for sueldos expended on maintenance of prisoners in 1790 indicates how little real work was performed by its overgrown staff. This flourishing condition was not destined to continue. The necessities of the government, in its foolish wars with France, England, and Portugal, caused it to call upon the Inquisition to convert its investments into public funds. The Valencia Tribunal reported to the Suprema, February 23, 1802, that, in obedience to its order of January 22nd, there had been realized from the sale of farms the sum of 62,584 libras, which had been duly paid over to the Caja de Consolidación de Valles, and of course all such patriotic contributions disappeared in the years of trouble which ensued. Equally unfortunate was an investment made in 1795, likewise by order of the Suprema, of 6,640 libras in an obligation of the Real Compañía Maritima, on which, as it reported in 1805, it had never received any interest. In the same year it presented a dolorous account of the misery of its officials, who, from their inadequate salaries, had been forced to make a voluntary donation of 4% to the government, and, under pressure from the captain-general, to contribute 175 reales to the support of the silk-weavers thrown out of employment, which, it suggested, should be paid for them by the tribunal, as, for two years and a half, it had had no fiscal, and thus had saved his salary. The tribunal of Logroño must have husbanded its resources, 
for it was able, July 23, 1808, to lend to the authorities thirty thousand reales towards a fund demanded by the French general Verdier for abstaining from sacking the town. Under the restoration, a return of the loan was vainly claimed. End of Book 5, Chapter 5, Part 1